Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Press Pass Podcast, sponsored by the Press Republican newspaper here in Plattsburgh, New York, in lovely Clinton County. I'm Editor-in-Chief Joe LaTemplio, and I'm here with my trusty sidekick, Ben Rowe, our night editor, and once again joining us, staff writer Kara Chapman. Hey, guys, how are we doing today? We are doing good, Joe. We are okay, <laughs> despite the rain. Yes, that yes. That Yesterday was it. an absolutely gorgeous day, mm-hmm. which I'm lucked out. It was my birthday. Yes, happy belated um, birthday, I guess. I had a very nice day. Everybody, everybody was very nice. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm, uh, I, I am the big 6-0, uh, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> I'm halfway there. Um, <laughs> that would be two. awesome. Yeah. Can you imagine being 120? <laughs> I would love that. Hey, you never know. Yeah. Um, so anyways, today we're back at it. It is raining and kind of a little miserable, but uh, we got, turns out we have a lot to talk about, and we didn't think we did, but uh, so sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy the banter. First thing I wanted to say. Boy, can I say something first? What? I just love how specific you get with the intro. That pretty soon you gotta get here in Plattsburgh, New York, Clinton County, United States of America. Latitude, longitude. <laughs> Planet Earth. Hey, well, for our <laughs> listeners in California, it's true. <laughs> we want them to know. Oh, I wonder if there's a way to look that up. I gotta have to check on that. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't you have a friend who lives in Australia too? Yes. Maybe he listens. And well, he's in Switzerland now. Oh, okay. So, geez. Still. But, yeah. He gets around. <laughs> yes, he moved. But anyways, um, one thing I noticed. Um, uh, and we're, we're going to talk about beer as well. But I was thinking the other day, I was cleaning out my refrigerator, and oh. uh, I there was a container of mustard. And I realized I really like mustard. And Mustard's good. All, all kinds of mustard. Uh, I don't profess to be an expert in them at uh-huh. all. It's just that I, I really enjoy mustard, and I was wondering if other people do, too. But you forget about that poor mustard container in your fridge, or did you not? No, like, it's just, still there. It's not. still there? And do you like mustard? I do. Mm-hmm. I like plain yellow American. I don't like to go too fancy. Ah. Right? Poop on. Okay, so I have thoughts on this. Uh-oh. So I first of all, of course, French's yellow classic mustard. Yes. I do occasionally like the mustards that come like with the mustard seeds in them. Like my cousin yes. gave me yeah. some from. It's a place over in Vermont. They made it like in a collaboration with Citizen Cider. It was delicious. I've gotten. I don't normally like horseradish, but Parker Maple Farm, I believe, they did a maple horseradish one. That was pretty good. But every once in a while, I ask myself, Kara, you're a little older. Do you like Dijon mustard now? Okay. And so every maybe a couple times a year, I try Dijon mustard. I just haven't developed the palate for it yet. I think that the... Is it the horse... Is it horseradish or something? Or is it just horseradish-y, mustard? Horseradishy, yeah. Yeah. I just... I can't handle that much horseradish. I can handle subtle horseradish, but I can't full-on handle a straight-up Dijon mustard quite yet. Dijon is good. I like it. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm good. Most of the time, I'm good with my Frenches. Sometimes I'll have those fancy mustard seed ones, but I, I'm not ready for Dijon Mustard yet. seeds? Yeah, like it comes with like the literal Crunchy seeds mustard. in it. It's yeah, it's I don't, really I don't want any pulp in my mustard. Carrot. It's not you pulp. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost like um, when you get sushi and they have the little bits of roe on top of it, mm. and it, it like uh, kind of pops a little bit when yeah. you bite uh, into it. It's really uh, good. You know, you mentioned Frenches, uh, the yes. classic. Uh, yes, of American course. Frenches used to be based in Rochester. Oh. Um, they since moved, and when I was about. 
I think it was in college, my cousin, who was about the same age, she got a job at French's. Which, mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a big food service company. And uh, we were talking one day, and she was talking about the recipe for their mustard. And she's like, oh, it's top secret. We can't discuss it. I'm like, it's mustard. <laughs> I didn't know it was a secret. What is it, the 12 spices and herbs? <laughs> where, was, where was the French's factory? It was in the city of Rochester. Jeez, um, Rochester has everything. Yeah, and Ragu was there, headquartered there once, too. Interesting. Yeah. We were a Prego family. But... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say... You have a nice sandwich, like maybe like say I don't know, like roast beef or something like that, and you get a nice spicy mustard. If you have a nice beer with that, it's very nice to have a nice. Absolutely, spicy and today is beer. the day to drink beer. It right, is. Benro? It is National Beer Day, right? I, I believe that is what I saw. Yes. Let me just let me just pull out a can and we get the sound effect. National Beer Day. <laughs> it is the commemorates the day in 1933 that the Cullen Harrison Act went into effect. Re-legalizing the sale of beer in the U.S. This was after Prohibition. Hey. So, um, when you get a chance later, maybe you can hoist the cold one in honor of National Beer Day. Kara, I know you got a big trip planned. I, I do. So, next week is my and my boyfriend's five-year anniversary. And hey. we are going on a quick getaway to Vermont. It, it centers around our intention for several years to make our way out to Hill Farmstead, which is a pretty prolific name in the industry. They're very big. Yes. So they're based in Greensboro Bend, so essentially middle of nowhere type deal. Probably mm -hmm. about like 45 to minutes to an hour from Stowe, Waterbury area. And uh, they've um, I've been doing a lot of research on them. Um, the hills have lived on this property. Like their ancestry there dates back eight generations, 220 years. They actually use a lot of their family names when they're naming their beers. And um, I believe, it, Joe, we were talking about this. It was like 2015 or 2016, they were voted one of the best, like the best brewery in the yeah, world. Yeah, I think Ooh. they had four yeah. of the top 10 beers in the world mm -hmm. uh, at one time. Yes. so incredible. So we're very excited to check that out. There's a couple of funky museums nearby that we're also going to be looking at and some really awesome restaurants. We're also going to check out The Alchemist. Um, while we're out there, which makes Hetty Topper and Focal Banger and a couple of other well-known names that I can't think of right now. Um, basically, IPA Central, I, I guess. Although, for me, I kind of have moved beyond IPAs. My true litmus test for breweries is how well you do something sessionable like a brown or a red, you know. Like, if you can do a basic beer like that very well, I'm impressed because the thing about IPAs is you could, Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling now. No. But the thing about IPAs that um, any, like, brewer probably worth their salt will tell you is that you can really make any you you can screw up on a beer screw up the flavor bad beer just add a crap, crap ton of hops to it now it's an ipa boom sell it yeah like so ipas are not always the litmus test for the best beers in a brewery so that's why i like to look at reds browns maybe i'm wrong about that too but that's kind of what i look at i also love sours so. yes uh no ipas have become all the rage um, they have they still are um, yeah, well, there are some good ones. There are. Um, but the brewery, the craft brewery uh, craze in, in Vermont is incredible. It is. I mean, it's, it's not bad here. I can't complain. Oh, yeah. But you're going to the, the place for mm -hmm. craft beer. Yes. We are very, awesome. excited. very so, excited. So the Hills, that's family? Hill Farmstead, yeah. Sean Hill, I believe, is the brewmaster. Do they do they have eyes to Hill? <laughs> I don't know, Ben. I'll have to let you know when I go there. <laughs> yes. After a few 
few of those beers, maybe they will. Yes. Um, I am curious if anybody cracks an open would listen to the Press Pass podcast. No, I might have to put a poll for that. Yeah. If I just, all right, time to relax, end of the week, get a cold one, press pass podcast. <laughs> now, Joe, you were supposed to make your way out to Hill yes. at some point. Yep, it Ooh. was, well, it would have been 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to do a, a Sunday feature on, on craft brewery in the region, and I had called them because they, they were pretty, you know, reaching the height of their popularity uh, back then. And... Um, I arranged to go for a tour and an interview, and they're like, sure, come on over. And the day I was supposed to go Uh-oh. was the day Donald Trump decided to come to Plattsburgh. <laughs> Whoa, so, I don't remember that. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it, was in a- it was in April. It uh, was April. 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was disappointed. I had to cancel <laughs> my appointment at Hill Farmstead, and I never, never went back and never made another appointment, which I regret. But I, I am eager to hear how your trip goes. Yes, um, yes. You, it sounds like a postcard for the Vermont Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll have to talk about it on the podcast. Yes, <coughs> yes. Absolutely. When I come back, and, I will. Um, I will say is that, yes, that number one, you can tell that Kara lives in a, now a brewing family, is that you speak very well about it. I will say is that I cannot speak so well to the creation of it, but I will say is that one thing, doing look back, and how I'm surprised that Joe mentioned that this holiday holiday kind of marks the end of Prohibition. And as I'm sure Joe has seen, is that back then with Prohibition, when you read about that, it's crazy to hear about how much the police like cracked out on alcohol back then. Yes, yeah. is that they're like, all right, there was a car with like a dozen beer bottles in the over near <laughs> Russ's Point. It was getting away. The cops, they open fire on the car to try and stop it. And it's like, oh, my God. Well, I actually, I have a story. I know that we probably have news items we want to talk about. But my um, great uncle, who he, he died before I was born, before my dad was born, he was a rum runner. And he actually lost his left arm, I believe, um, wow. in, in a rum running accident. And they actually, I'm pretty sure they called him lefty. Like, haha, you don't have a left arm anymore. Why are you lefty? <laughs> but... He was actually killed um, down in New Hampshire. He had he was in a high-speed chase. And I found this article one time on Ancestry.com. I'll have to dig it up. And he crashed into a building or a fence or something like that. He was running away across a field, and a cop shot him in the back as he was running away. And that's how he died. So that's kind of my interesting prohibition yes. um, rum running. Connection. Yeah. Sorry, that's kind of sad, but it's it's really interesting. It's, it's you know, true. The local it, connections we have. It, it was a big deal around here. I mm-hmm. mean, because you know, obviously, because we're right near the border, and, right. and booze was still legal in Canada. The, I always hear the stories of how they used to get white cars, paint the tires all white and drive down the middle of Frozen Lake Champlain so nobody would see the vehicle. Ooh, um, interesting. Is that true? Is it a myth? I don't know, but I've heard that story before, but it was prevalent. Yes, I mean, I've seen at least one story where they talk about, you know, secret compartments beneath the car and that kind of thing that are filled with booze and that kind of thing. Or you so. block off half of your gas tank so that way you can fill the other Hey, I like that one. Mm. Or, the radi- <laughs> or the radiator. Oh, maybe that's what it was, yeah. yeah. And and speaking of, uh, I'm going to transition here. Hey, here mm-hmm. we go. Get ready. Um, I would. Uh, speaking of Canadians visiting, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, many more of them are coming. But uh, what I thought of was that I know a lot of Canadians used to come down here and they used to buy booze, 
and because it was cheaper here and they didn't want to pay the duty going over so they would pour it in jugs of antifreeze really put it in the car and uh, border guys would think oh it's just anti car antifreeze hey. <laughs> but anyhow we are seeing more canadians in the last week or so aren't we these sounds of french being spoken <laughs> carrying yeah. on yes <laughs> yes um we will be editorializing about that um, this weekend um, I talked to Town Plattsburgh Supervisor Michael Cashman, and he says he's always curious. He's a very curious man. And whenever he sees somebody with a, a out-of-town license plate, he likes to strike up a conversation. Um, he, he says he's careful because he doesn't want them to think he's weird or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so he was at the mall, I think he was at, and he saw all these Quebec license plates. And he went up to the uh, couple and said, hey, how you doing? I'm town supervisor. Welcome to Plattsburgh and where are you from? And had a conversation. And the woman said to him, we didn't come for any particular restaurant or any particular store or anything particular. We just missed Plattsburgh. Aww. Which Michael thought was very nice. <laughs> and I think it's interesting. It's like, yeah, yeah, Plattsburgh is a destination for them, obviously. Um, so, and we've already been seeing an increase in them coming. So hopefully we'll be back to normal. And, and there was another local fellow that said, yeah, I went to the Sam's Club and it was so good to hear people speaking French again. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe we're on our way, Benro. Maybe we are. Mm -hmm. that, I've got somebody who, yes, works at Sam's Club and he said the same thing. Is that... It's weird not having <laughs> the French-Canadian customers. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. What are you hearing, Kara? Um, pretty much the same. Uh, like I think I told you earlier this week, I was in Target over the weekend, and I heard French for, it feels like, the first time in a very long time. And I almost wanted to look at them and be like, it's so nice to hear French again. <laughs> but I, like, like Michael, I didn't want to <laughs> them to think that I was weird or anything like that. But something else that's interesting about um, you know Canadians being able to well, obviously fully vaccinated Canadians being able to more freely like travel back and forth again is um, last night at count at a, the Clinton County Legislature's Finance Committee meeting, uh, Legislator Castine brought up how he was in Lacole last Friday, the first day that you know the testing requirement was waived, and because of the price of how much gas costs per liter up there, you actually pay more per gallon in Canada right now, even than what we're paying right oh, now yeah. for gas prices. Yeah. So it's just, it was something like uh, five fifty compared to, I think, what we're at, what, four thirty, four forty for regular yeah. right now. So so that's another interesting thing is, you know, you know, you talk about Canadians coming down here for booze, they're also going to be gassing up down here. Yes. So. Big time. Um, gas runners. Yeah, <laughs> gas as a matter of fact, oh in the 90s, back in the heyday, uh, a Petro-Canada actually opened uh, at the corner of Smithfield and Route 3 where Maplefields is. Mm -hmm. That was, a, at one time, was a Petro-Canada. Interesting. It was the first one outside of Canada. Uh, that Whoa, they had that's kind of cool. It was mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've seen that particular gas station go through so many iterations throughout my life. Yeah. Yeah, maybe at least three or four. I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's, you'd think it's a perfect corner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot you of business. So. Well, again, that shows, as people have said, is that, you know, the border between us and Quebec can be very, you know, feels like almost the same place sometimes. With, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it does. Uh, and Gary Douglas, uh, president of the Chamber of Commerce, of course, is going to be offering or did offer us some, some tips that we will talk about uh, in this weekend's edition 
about what we can do to welcome our neighbors back. And the biggest thing I think is, is he's saying is just be nice to them yeah. and say, thanks for coming. Nice to see you. Welcome back. That can go a long way. So be yeah. nice, Ben. I'll try. Yeah, I'm not sure Ben normally has to worry about that. I mean, as long as they drive correctly. No. <laughs> well, that, ben. that we talked about that. We, have, we talked about that on the podcast. I think yes, is that no that you know everyone. Number one, everyone is a terrible driver. I don't care where you're from. Number two, having driven up in Montreal, I've made my own share of fair share of mistakes driving up there so yes, they, yes. they don't like me as much as I don't like them so <laughs> but well, we're gonna turn over a new leaf we are yes no more complaining. clean slate <laughs> no yes yes and yeah and as um, Gary Douglas has said is that no the, in our entire history this has been one of the longest spans of one of the biggest bumps in our history so yeah, let's help to move years. on from it my goodness well speaking of which is that um well, it's kind of weird to get these segments in here, but I think it's important. Is COVID? Mm-hmm. Is um, that COVID correspondent Kara Chapman? Yes. So I was uh, refreshing my memory um, since I wrote it Monday on how co- the state of COVID currently, and you know our cases went down a little bit last week. They went up a little bit this week. So at least in the three counties, Clinton, Essex, and Franklin, we kind of seem to be fluctuating around a given point. There is a little bit of an uptick happening because of the Omicron subvariant BA2. Mm. So we're keeping an eye on that. Um, today is Thursday, which is when the CDC updates their COVID community levels. They haven't done it yet for this latest week, but as of last week, we were all in the green, meaning you know stay up to date on your vaccinations, get tested if you feel symptomatic. But a change that I do know about since Monday, we had seven hospitalizations Monday, and Chris Blake from CVPH told me that we're at 11. Still no one in ICU, but we are seeing a little bit of an uptick in Yeah, and we're seeing that elsewhere around the country as well. And, and, you know, I think I mentioned this to you. I was considering, should I get my next booster shot, mm-hmm. which I think I'm eligible for. I talked to my wife about it, who also would be eligible. And she's thinking maybe wait till the fall um, because, you know, we're springtime, summer, it will be outside. It'll mm-hmm. be hopefully the cases will still be down, and then next fall, as we transition into back indoors, when we've seen spikes the last two years, maybe that's the time to get it. So uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be considering all that. Mm-hmm. Because I do wonder, you know, would they want people to get the booster now, with the idea of having a fifth one yeah. come, or the third one? Sorry, it would be the fifth dose yeah. come the fall. And I think that'll be interesting to see how demand goes with this time around or whether because the CDC did open up boost CDC and FDA did open up boosters to, you know, pretty much anyone who wanted to get them as long as it had been a certain time elapsed since their first series. So will there be as much demand for the second booster and then will there be people willing to be a third booster? But that that might be an interesting move, Joe, just because, you know, people will be moving back inside. That's around the time. I mean, Delta kind of started to hit mid late summer right. into the fall last year and then omicron took over and you know we saw this how this past winter went so um i, I don't know it wouldn't surprise me if more people adopted that strategy well and, and i think we're heading towards you know flu season you get a flu shot when flu season kicks in mm-hmm. i think this will be like this from now on with covid mm-hmm. you get your covid shot when covid season kicks in mm-hmm. uh, strange to think of it that way but 
that could be where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Well, it's strange to think of how people's mindsets by even getting the flu shot might, you know, improve. Hopefully people think more of, because I know pre-COVID there were people that were like, eh, I'll skip my flu shot. I think even Gary Douglas himself admitted to being a needle phobe. Mm-hmm. And he hadn't gotten a shot in a long time until the COVID vaccine came around. So Very he rolled important. up his sleeve. So, but just so everyone knows, we do run. We well, we I believe we're going to be reducing the frequency that we run it, but we do have our vaccination master list. Um, Clinton County Health Department started offering their second boosters this week. We're anticipating the other health departments, Essex and Franklin, will do so next week. And in the meantime, they're also available at many pharmacies throughout the region. Yes, this is obviously COVID is something we're going to be keeping an eye on for as long as it takes. Um, and again, ask people to be mindful and be smart and be safe uh, when you can. Um, it's uh, it, well, it's been two years and we're still in it, so uh, be smart, people. And also another story um, I'd like to bring up is I think it's the sixth or seventh week now of the war in Ukraine. Uh, mm-hmm. That has yeah, been going on, and, and then obviously the atrocities we've seen is just terrible. But uh, Carrie, you did a nice story uh, about the uh, woman from uh, who had spent time in Moldova. Yes, yeah, so um, Madeline McGrath, she was a Peace Corps volunteer, and she's originally from Shazy, graduated from SUNY Plattsburgh, but she was a Peace Corps volunteer in Moldova for about two and a half years. Typically you do... Um, two years of in-country service after a few months of training through the Peace Corps, and she had opted for a third year, but partway through her third year, the pandemic hit, so they were all evacuated. But she and her friends decided to form this organization called Friends of Moldova as a way to stay connected to Moldova and also to help organizations there who are still trying to improve things and make it a better place and that kind of thing. Um, But when the invasion happened, they started getting all these inquiries from nonprofits um, in Moldova and also people who were looking to help because Moldova is one of the nations bordering Ukraine. It's actually partially, like almost mostly surrounded by Ukraine. It's got uh, Ukraine on the northern, southern, and eastern side, and then Romania on the western side. So, um, and proportionally, if you look at the number of refugees who, not that they've settled there, but that have entered there, it basically increases their population by 15%. That's they've just received such a huge influx of people. So um, Friends of Moldova decided they were gonna be an intermediary between these nonprofits, these organizations and agencies who needed help, and then the people who wanted to help. And so far they've raised close to a quarter of a million dollars that has been distributed for refugee relief. Yes, very uplifting. Um, Yeah, it's incredible to watch things unfold over there. But it's nice to know that there's people out there that are, you know, mm-hmm. their hearts are in the right place. They want to help. Yep. And if you want to donate to that organization, um, I know that we've posted that information with the story, um, both in our print edition and online. Um, there are a couple of others, I think, as well. Have we have we run, like, kind of a guide? I don't know if CNHI's put something together about the best places to... I don't think so. It might be something to look into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I know that, yes, that you, um, you know, Kara, have uh, promoted a number of... Mm-hmm. groups and things that are working for that and um what struck me from the Moldova story was hearing about how um that she kind of recognized the um the homes that were over there that she might have spent some time in while right. she was over yeah. there right. and the the architecture and that kind of thing and so it really struck that you know wow I was I could have just been in those places you know right. <laughs> not that long ago and so it's like um 
yeah, that, you know, I'm to, to look at any conflict and see just, you know, I'm living rooms and, you know, and playing areas being, you know, devastated as it really hits home. So. Yeah, and she had also worked at a youth center where a bunch of the teens she worked with, um, because Moldova has mandatory military service, I, I think she said there are some yeah. limited exceptions, but um, some of them are enrolled now, and when she talked to them about a year a year ago, they said, oh, it's no big deal, Moldova's not involved in any war, and, you know, it's kind of a different situation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a different situation. You never know. Yeah. Uh, hopefully things will get resolved there quickly. Um, now, Ben, you're a native of Essex County. Uh-oh. <laughs> a proud native of Essex yes. County. Yes, Reber, New York. Um, the Essex County uh, Board of Supervisors is doing a survey, or the Essex County Transportation Department is doing a survey to see uh, where they can improve public transportation. And it sounds to me like they're going to step it up down there. Now, you didn't have buses in Wellsboro, did you, when growing up? No, I was vaguely actually aware of like um, some public transit buses and that kind of thing. Um, and it makes sense because, um, as they say, for people going to work and that kind of thing, is um, that obviously Essex County is very rural and some of the communities are pretty isolated and so I do know some people who will hop on the bus go to work then hop on the bus and come back so no it's um it's a good service I know they have like shuttles in the summer for hiking Mm -hmm. and uh, I think in the winter too for skiing at Whiteface Um, but yeah that's, that's the thing about a rural area even in Clinton County and Franklin County the transportation system is is nothing like people would see in a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when I first moved up here from Rochester, I was like, where's the bus? Because <laughs> 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 I could, you know, growing up, I could hop on a bus and go anywhere mm-hmm. um, at any time, pretty much. Um, but I was, it's not I was that reading, way here. I was reading something about that, about how city kids, you know, by the time they're like, I don't know, I'm probably exaggerating, but like six or seven, they can... They know they can hop on a bus and go to such and such place, yeah. and you know, and is that just the way of life over there? Versus, versus, um, you know, having to wait here until you're old enough to have a car. The kids there, they can go across town and go to such and such. And oh yeah, no, it's that's wacky. I mean, me. <laughs> the Clinton County Public Transportation System it used to be called Clinton Area Rural Transit Cart, cart Bus. Mm-hmm. The Cart Bus. I wonder what they call Franklin County. Um, <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Sorry. Um, they had the biggest run, and maybe the most popular run, was from Plattsburgh to Rouse's Point for the Wyeth people. Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, full buses um, every day um, going up there, and uh, that was used widely. I don't think the systems is as robust as it was then, um, but there are still people who rely on it. And mm-hmm. use it. So, be interesting to see what the survey in Essex County says. Mm-hmm. No, and I've definitely read an article very recently about how, um, with the electric um, vehicle push and that kind of thing, that um, which we wrote about recently, trying to you know make um, transportation in the United States more environmentally friendly. Is that you know in Europe where trains are all over the place and that kind of thing, and where you can it's kind of more natural for them over there just hopping a train to go over to the next state or the next town or the next country or and over here where it's like that's a kind of a foreign concept to Americans to go on trains for anything other than very rare mm-hmm. <laughs> occasions and it's like 
the idea of how to sell that to Americans to like, all right, you don't need any cars, you do not need to own a car, is that the things are connected enough where you can just go by bus or train to just get where you need to go. And I'm like, yeah, that would be kind of, what would you say about that, Kara? I'm like, ditching cars, if everything was connected, if you could hop on a train and go over to like Malone or like, you know, um, down to... I would, I would say so, if it, if it was, especially if it was comparable amounts of time, I would say so, because I mean, you don't have car payment, you don't have car insurance, you don't have to pay for gas, like that just, that, I, I, I would be up for that if that was possible. I think it would be an incredibly heavy lift at this point, but I, I would be up for, you know, trying that out. We well, had better public transportation infrastructure. Well, and I think that's what the article is us saying, is that it's expensive to own a car. It is. paying insurance and paying, yeah, I mean, you know. It's getting worse. <laughs> and it depreciates in value every mile you drive it. Mm -hmm. It's one of the worst investments. I remember that specifically, one of my teachers in high school saying, one of the worst investments you can ever make is a car. That's true. Well, thanks, Mrs. Teacher. It's actually <laughs> Mr. Teacher, I think. Mr. Teacher, what am I, what am I supposed to do? As soon as you drive it off the lot, it goes down. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, that's that's a major philosophical difference between like how my grandmother approaches buying a car and how my dad approaches buying a car because she's like, if and if you know my grandmother, I don't. Neither of you do, but like this makes sense for her. It's like, I don't want to inherit anybody else's problems. That's that's her like mm -hmm. ethos when it comes that's to car right? buying. And my dad's like, well. As soon as you drive it off the lot, Teresa, it's my grandmother's name, it depreciates by $5,000. And mm -hmm. that's how my dad looks at things, too. But at the same time, you know, a lot can happen in those 10, 20, 30,000 30, miles. I bought my car at 130,000 miles. Mm. Thankfully, it's I'm past the car payment phase now, knock on wood, almost a year. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's expensive. Yes, it is. Oh. I, know, I think in Canada, they use trains more than we do here. Mm -hmm. I took a train from Montreal to Quebec City a couple times. Yeah. It was oh, that's really cool. nice. Okay. Yeah, it was cool. Good to know. Via rail is the mm -hmm. Canadian passenger, hey. passenger rail system. Yeah. Oh, better than Amtrak. We thought about checking out Quebec City. Oh, it's it. wonderful. Yeah? Yes. I've been there about 10 times. Okay. And it's a gorgeous city. Lots to do, lots to see. Mm -hmm. Good food and everything. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Also, speaking of saving money, student loan you know, delay, push back until August. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll my take daughter, that all day. My daughters were excited. <laughs> yes. Although, I mean, I, I feel, I count myself very fortunate. I have continued to make at least a partial payment on my loans throughout this time, mm -hmm. just because I, I just feel like there's a gotcha. There's like something they're not telling us about, <laughs> you know, not paying for this whole time. I hope that there's not, but um, I, I do think it's, you know, good relief for people who aren't in the same position and not able to. The gotcha at the end of this, Kara, is that Biden is going to eliminate all student debt. We shall see, Ben. We keep waiting for people. that. <laughs> We're still waiting for that. <laughs> Government and budgets, speaking of. Hey. We know the state budget looks like it may be on its way towards approval. Yes, it was. Uh, I saw some Albany reporters tweeting that uh, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins said, We're at the E in end as of this afternoon. That's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the beginning of the end. Yes, exactly. Um, and they did uh, drinks to go? They are uh, including a provision that for three years would bring back um, alcohol to go, which was pretty popular when the pandemic shut down uh, indoor dining for restaurants. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that goes. They 
they said that they you need to buy a substantial food item with it, or you need to sell it with a substantial food item. I'm not sure what that means. I don't know if that means you can't just do nachos. You got to do Pretzels. tacos or something. Yeah, I know some people. We're going that. back to that. Or the Cuomo chips. I remember. Yes. Um, and you can't sell full bottles of alcohol anymore, like wine or look like. I can understand not selling a whole bottle of liquor. Yes. I'm interested to hear the logic behind not allowing the sale of a whole bottle of wine because between a couple people, you know, that's a couple drinks. That's like a normal right. amount to consume. But, you know. And what was the we'll other see. one they were considering? What other wasn't, one? Wasn't there two items? Drinks to go and another budget item? There's hmm. many budget items, Joe. No, I know, but the one that, <laughs> when I was, everybody was talking about, the, uh, maybe not. Eliminate New York student debt. Actually, it could to the government. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I know the but one of the big sticking points of the budget is the proposal to put a, a lot of taxpayer money towards the Six hundred million from the state. From the state and yes. two hundred fifty million from Erie County for mm -hmm. the Buffalo Bills new stadium. Uh, there's a lot of ways to look at this. Um, it's an investment. You have this team will stay in New York for at least 30 more years. It's a big draw every Sunday in the fall. Um, supposedly, it's, you know, drives the economy for a while, creates jobs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's others that say it doesn't really stimulate the economy. The owner could fund it himself. And the billionaire owners shouldn't <laughs> be getting a handout. Um, and but then people say, well, it's our identity. We need the Buffalo Bills. And you know what? I was thinking, it's almost like remember when they the they did the bailouts of the banks and the mm -hmm. airlines, and we heard the phrase "too big to fail." Mm -hmm. We have to help them. It's like the NFL and its thirty-two markets are have become too big to fail. And they you, can pitch themselves as that. For yeah, sure. but <laughs> would, they wouldn't fail though. I mean, they would move but they wouldn't right i mean i it would be I a know. failure for buffalo right mm -hmm. um but and that's the everybody is deeply deeply concerned when mm -hmm. when a city loses an nfl franchise it's like a big death mm -hmm. there is literally mourning it's a bad deal and you probably don't want to see that so you know the owners know that and they're using that um to get the bargaining leverage with the state mm -hmm. but I don't know that it's it's a pretty divisive issue yeah so I, we'll see I see arguments on both sides right um, right so I I don't know it, I'll be interested to see once we have the final budget bills how that interplayed with other provisions of the budget that they're still working out and try and getting hung up on like uh, whether or not to make changes to bail reform and yes. that kind of thing absolutely are the bills a good team yes all right they are okay. now <laughs> but, you know, it's it's cyclical. Yes, that's <clears throat> but, but that helps. Um, they were talking about the budget's two hundred and twenty billion. I remember when it was like ninety billion, mm. um, and we were doing stories on it. It's incredible how inflation has gone. Mm -hmm. Money, you just wave your hands and more money. Print more. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? But yes, is the again as our editorial said today is that you know um. You send Ron Stafford down to the Capitol to rough him up a bit, and then you get it done. Yes. He was chairman, at the end of his career, chairman of the powerful Senate Finance Committee. You couldn't just say Senate Finance Committee. You had to say powerful 
Senate Finance Committee. <laughs> and uh, pretty much, if he wanted something for up here, he did get it. So that was good. Yes. Well, we hope that, yes, we hope that smoother heads will prevail down there and that things will come together. Well, it's New York politics. It's always interesting. That's mm -hmm. true. Right. But in the meantime, yes, we will stick with that. Um, you know, let people know how that turns out. But otherwise, um, anything else in the news, Gerald Templeham? No, I think we've covered a lot today, which was fun and nice. Um, we're heading into the weekend, and hopefully the rain will stop. Yes. And we can all start to enjoy springtime. And, oh, that reminds me. One more thing we can talk about. Uh -oh. No mo May. No mo May? <laughs> yes. yes. Why is there no mo May? Well, it's uh, an item. Um, Dick Crawford, a local beekeeper, um, <laughs> alerted me to. Um, you know, there, there's been um, a concern about the, um, the, the bee colony. population. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we got to have bees. Bees mm -hmm. make food. Bees are good. Mm -hmm. um, so in order to make the bee population healthier, they need the pollen from the dandelions and the purple stuff that grows in your lawn. They need that. <laughs> Those beets, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it was a place that it was Wisconsin or Minnesota. They developed the month of May. They call it No Mow May. They tell people don't mow your lawn oh. the month of May. Mm -hmm. So the weeds and stuff grow so the bees will have a place to pollinate, mm -hmm. right? Pollinate, hab habitate, I think, yeah. you know. So, um, but Joe, why did they get this nice mower if you're not going to let me use it? Just for May. Just for month of May. <laughs> you know, when the lawn's first kicking in. Mm -hmm. um, there are people that wait all winter just to get mm -hmm. the mower going. I, I'm going to try it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Why not? Be yeah. nice to the bees. Yes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it, it was interesting. I, w I was looking up uh, when you first were talking about it with Robin yesterday or the day before the organization who's kind of leading the charge on it, I, for, I think they're named like Bee City. They're from the Xerxes <laughs> Society, which is, you know, they advocate for invertebrate health, you know, obviously bugs, invertebrates. Um, and they talked about how Americans have a love affair with lawns mm -hmm. and how our lawns are our top irrigated crop. We don't even get any food from them and they're our top irrigated crop. It makes up like 2% of the land mass in the United States. So it's just really interesting, like, the identity that goes into upkeeping a lawn, you know, if you're part of an HOA and you could get penalized potentially for not taking proper care of your lawn, like how much of that, I, I question, I, I don't yet own a home, I'm a renter, but how much of that actually matters? You know, the, the lawn is the centerpiece of the property. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I know, but why? You're, you're essentially you're essentially watering your carpet. You might as well be. It's a, it's, a stat, it's a status. It sure is. Why do you think grumpy old men don't want kids touching their lawn? Get off my lawn. Because they're looking for reasons to be grumpy. Whoa. Well, yes. Well, I agree. As um, well, no. I'll say as yes. I also have no control over what happens to my lawn as a renter. Right. But I, will. I don't water mine. I just let oh, there we go. nature mm -hmm. do it. Yeah, I, I will. Know. I will go and stand in front of my landlord's mower and say no, <laughs> not the bees. <laughs> and my dad tried to regrow grass on uh, the lawn at my childhood home because we have we've had dogs throughout my life, and oh, one of mm -hmm. them, uh, uh, the late Basset Hound Maya, the late and great Maya, she totally destroyed this lawn, mm -hmm. digging really? for moles dig just digging like as a hobby and you know he tried to regrow the grass it didn't work and it's i think he's pretty much just given up so mm -hmm. yeah 
Ours is like theirs is basically a natural lawn, I would say at this point. Well, but yes, when you drive by a home that has a really nice manicured lawn, it does look impressive. It does look nice, but I'm like, how much of your life could you have spent doing something else? <laughs> like a true passion. I mean, if you, if your passion is the lawn, cool. Maybe consider not mowing for the month of May to be nice to the bees. So yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe we'll give it a try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, save the bees. and on that note yes you can find all of our bee talk on um, iTunes on Apple Podcasts at thepresspublican.com on SoundCloud anywhere you get your friendly neighborhood podcasts is that it for today? I think that is alright sounds good thank you Kara thank you Ben thank you everyone for listening to the Press Pass Podcast from from the Press Republican and until we talk again we wish everybody a little weak side help Thank you.